Hello, and welcome to show number 25 of the Online Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Devine. Today's going to be a relatively short show, depending on how much I babble on in the second half. The news, relatively uh, little news in the past two weeks, so let's get to it quickly. Uh, One of the things I forgot to mention last time uh, over at Atari Play, which is, um, I think, play.atari.com or something like that, they've opened up uh, a beta test site for their new Yahtzee Battleship Monopoly Scrabble and Boggle for testing. If you'd like to test those out, that's available at qa1.games.atari.com. You have to uh, register for that, but then you can do that and uh, provide them feedback in the uh, uh, over at atarecommunity.com slash forums. So if you'd like to try that out, it's been up since May 15th, so you can go beta test some of their new versions of their games. LittleGolem.net is currently down. Registered users will get an email notification when the outage is uh, has ended and the site is back up. It had some security issues, probably some very annoying people who have n- nothing better to do than to mess with other people. Ludaholic has put Monkeys on the Moon, the 8-foot llama game, up as a bait open beta. So anybody wanting to play Monkeys on the Moon, it is an interesting uh, bidding-type game about trying to get the monkeys, uh, as many monkeys from the, the, from the clan, uh, different colors onto the moon using your ships. It's an interesting game. A little complicated the first couple times you play it, but uh, after you get the hang of it, not so difficult to figure out. Uh, Eight Foot Llama has a couple other games, and I don't know if Ludaholic will be adapting those or not, but we shall see. Brett Spielwelt, uh, something I forgot to mention last time, because their news is not in chronological order, so I missed it, is they put up Origo, which is um, something about the Germanic tribes fighting the Roman Empire. I'm not sure. I've never really heard of the game, but it is now online at Brett Spielwelt. Goldtoken.com has put up uh, Depole and Large Depole. And Days of Wonder announced that Pirate's Cove is available again. That's not really an online gaming thing, but it bodes well for the possibility of it finally being available from their online uh, playable online site. Though, who knows? We'll see how that goes. And if you can believe it, that's all the news. Would that take me two minutes? Anyways, um, yeah, not too much news. So this is going to be a relatively short show. We'll put some 
the ads on the end, I did get some newer ads from podcastpen.com, a couple of the new promos for shows I listen to, uh, Dice Tower and The Signal and some of those. So you'll probably hear something on the end from one of those. This podcast is proudly listed at the best podcasting directory on the internet, podcastpickle.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled download, already in progress. Do you want Firefly to live? Damn straight. Do you want Serenity to have a sequel? I said yes already. Where's the outstanding issue? At The Signal, we believe that Serenity is worth fighting for. No power in the verse can stop me. If you believe that too, join us. We are not alone. The Signal Podcast. Make The Signal go further. Because we want our trilogy. I'll take three. This is how it is. I want my trilogy. Firefly Technical Manual. Sci-Fi Review. You're listening to The Signal. I'm Wes. And I'm Carrie. And we are here to talk about Firefly. This is the Gaming Podcast Network. The best gaming podcasts available anywhere. I thought what I'd do for the second half, since uh, it's becoming a little bit more difficult to find sites to review, I've reviewed pretty much the big sites, I thought I'd wax philosophical a little bit with you about my feelings on play-by-web board games. And in doing so, it'll probably be a little bit of a gaming history about me. Uh, why did I start this podcast, why did I get into gaming, and other things like that. My gaming history is relatively short. It's only about 25 years ago, uh, when I was about 5 or 6 years old. My parents bought me a board game called Mystery Mansion. Uh, This was a... uh, you know, a game that was found in Toys R Us, but it, it wasn't Monopoly. Uh, or Scrabble, or one of the more common roll-the-dice-move-on-the-board type games. Uh, I had a few others that were like that. Mystery Mansion was a bit odd in that the board was uh, different every game. The house, the mansion, was built. And there were different strategies involved of putting a staircase uh, in some sections or going up a level, going down a level, and putting different things in different spots. Not very complicated. It was meant to be for kids. But it brought in some elements of strategy that I really thought were lacking from games like Monopoly. Um, uh, I'll typically use Monopoly as an example of a game that has no strategy. And I know there are tournament Monopoly players out there. The strategy is all in the trading. 
strategically mortgaging your property to buy other property? Eh, I guess. Maybe. But in the end, if you're not heavily trading and using that as pretty much your tactic, Monopoly, not really that fun. Especially if by sheer luck, somebody rolls and gets a Monopoly early in the game. I have played a game, uh, especially against my brother-in-law, who is a dice guru, who three times around the board, he's got Boardwalk and Park Place. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean the rest of us are screwed, but (laughs) it doesn't bode well. Because if he manages to secure another Monopoly or some other properties... It's not going to work out for the rest of us. So uh, that's the kind of thing where no amount of strategy can defeat that. Can I beat him in chess? Maybe. I don't know. Chess is a, is a very strategic game. Uh, it's, it's wholly dependent upon the skill. There is no luck involved. You have total control over the moves you make. Uh, so that's the that's why I use Monopoly as the baseline because it's very dice driven. I could use uh, other kids board games, Candyland, uh, Sorry, Trouble. They're all games that are completely luck driven, and those games to me aren't fun, mainly because. Uh, Someone can win just because they're luckier. They draw the right card at the right time. Now, strategy games can be affected by drawing the right card at the right time, but you don't necessarily feel like the game beat you. If a single draw of a card can change the entire game, possibly the game needs to be rewritten. So, I got Mystery Mansion. I enjoyed it. Um, I looked for other games that were similar. Games outside the mold of the normal games that everybody had. Uh, I ended up with things like Bargain Hunter. Eh, It ended up being a bit of a dice roll fest. But it brought in different elements and had the really cool credit machine, which was nifty. But... Um, treasure hunt. This involved an electronic device that you use to go and get the treasure, um, which was interesting. Torpedo Run. That was a miniatures game, which also had the element of uh, shooting little discs across the floor. Uh, so I started looking for games that were strategic or that had elements outside the norm. Uh, At at that point in time, we're talking 1985, probably by then. And uh, not really any access to the... Uh, German games or the Euro games or those types of games. And I'm not sure how many were really around. It wasn't until um, 
until much later that I actually got my hands on some of the Avalon Hill stuff. Uh, didn't really know it existed. Wasn't very easy to find it, and went through a role-playing game phase. About 1987, I think it was 1987, uh, my parents bought me the Red Box Dungeons and Dragons uh, after I had played it with a cousin of mine. We had played D&D, found it to be fun. He grew out of that stage in about a year. Uh, I still find D&D fun <laughs> uh, 20 years later. But I, um, so I went through the role-playing games, D and D, the A D and D. Started writing my own type RPG games, playing the RPG computer games, uh, Bard's Tale, the the Gold Box D and D uh, games from SSI. And started doing that. Uh, Magic came out in... I mean, we're now jumping ahead another 10 years. That was a really long period where it was mostly role-playing games. And different types of role-playing games. Uh, started trying to dabble into the superhero ones and uh, the the different ones that were out there. Though D&D was pretty much a main focus for a long time. Uh, then about 19... Well, what was it? 1992-93, Magic the Gathering came out. Uh, and that's when I started to discover the hobby stores, the local hobby stores, a little bit more, was when I went to go get the Magic cards and noticed that there were a little other games. I think when I went to buy Magic for the first time at a, at a local hobby store, I noticed Nuclear War, the Flying Buffalo game. And I thought they had it in a half-price bin, which knocked it down to, I think, $15 from 30 And I'm like, well, this looks intriguing. So I picked that up. And at the about the same time, I found Mayfair Games, uh, Empire Builder. And that was just a, a kind of an eye-opener. And I went through an Empire Builder phase. Uh, as Tom Vassell will attest, though, you play Empire Builder too much... And uh, it becomes a game that you might own, but you never really want to play it. <laughs> and that kind of happened with me, though it took about uh, seven years to burn out on Empire Builder. Though I'm still planning on buying China Rails, if they're at or if if it's at Origins this year. Um, well, I might not buy it from Mayfair, but uh, I might buy it from my distributor. But even though I'm not a huge fan of the Empire Builder anymore. Still willing to buy their new stuff. I have Russian Rails. I've never played it. I bought. I, I picked it up. Meant to play it. And uh, ended up with the kind of situation where... I, one of the reasons I started this podcast and the whole play-by-web thing is that I cannot seem to find time to allocate to go play games. I have, you know, fun time for this, time for the computer, time to go to work. But with a uh, a newer child, he's over a year now, a year old now. Uh, I have to um, 
I have to take care of him, take care of the yard, take care of the house, other things like that, um, as well as my wife having to uh, do all of those things as well. And those take up a good amount of time, so it becomes difficult to to say, well, I'm going to go all day Saturday or every Monday night to go play games. Uh, I think in in a few months, maybe I will be able to get away once a month on a Saturday or something to go and play games. I really hope I can. I've been looking forward to playing some of uh, a bunch of new games, though with the crowd that I normally meet up with. Uh, an Empire Builder type is not really their forte, uh, something that's going to take three hours to play. Uh, and even going to a convention, maybe I'll get to do it there. I do plan on going. There's a convention called ANCON, which is um, which was uh, started, founded by one of the old members of ANDON, who at one point in time was running the Origins game convention in Columbus, Ohio. There's a new convention that they're going to do in Hudson, Ohio, which is closer to Cleveland. Uh, it's between the Cleveland-Akron area. I don't know, geographically speaking, <laughs> if anybody even knows that area of Ohio. But it puts it uh, the Hudson Holiday Inn, where they're planning on holding it, is about... 15 minutes from my house so it would be rather easy for me to go to that convention because then I can drive home at the end of the day or whatnot. and so I'm considering going to that convention um, mainly because it's so close and I know the guy who's running it and he's a nice guy and I want to make sure that uh, uh, I, I you know I support him because it's his first year, first con. He's run in a long time. He, used, like I said, he was used to be part of Andon, which used to run Origins, the Three Rivers Convention, um, and Con, which was originally in Independence, Ohio, then moved to Toledo, Ohio. Uh, they had a number of these small conventions. There used to be also a convention called ClubCon, and a lot of these small conventions kind of died off in the area. Origins took over in Columbus, being a fixture in Ohio, and uh, the the prices of getting hotels and ballrooms went uh, was very high. And I don't know what the other factors were, but it became very difficult to have smaller conventions again. And so we're really looking forward, to, I'm really looking forward to see how this does, because the most fun I've had at conventions were at the smaller conventions. I, uh, The fondest memories I have are from AntCon, ClubCon, and some of those other ones, rather than Origins. I have good memories from Origins, but the best ones come from the smaller conventions. Which leads me to the next step in my history, which was 1993, or 94, I think it was 93, went to the first ANCON in Independence, Ohio, uh, which is, uh, it's not a large city, but it was a rather large Holiday Inn where they held it, some large ballrooms and the like. And they booked uh, some of the hotel, the conference rooms in the hotel room and, and other meeting rooms to hold the contest. Uh, played in some magic tournaments there. 
um, bought and traded some of the, I think Ice Age was out at the time. It's either 93 or 94. I think it might have been 94. Uh, and it was the first time I went to a games auction. And I must have spent $400 buying games uh, there. Just different types of games. Board games mainly. Uh, and really had uh, had a good time. Played Empire Builder. Actually, I think that was the first time I played Empire Builder, was the first Ancon, which prompted me to go and buy it. Though I cannot remember if that's so or not. I'm trying to remember where the first place I played that was. It was it was in that 93-94 time period that I ended up getting Empire Builder. Um, I think it was 93, so it must have been a convention earlier than that. Because I remember... Uh, one of my good high school friends and I used to just play that like crazy. And I introduced other people to it as well, some other high school friends. So I, I don't know if I'm single-handedly responsible for getting about five other people into the gaming industry or gaming, uh, you know, getting into gaming. But um, I know they enjoyed it. I don't know if they would actually go out and buy it. I know my 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 good friend, he did end up buying Euro Rails, and he was the first one to buy one of the 18xx games to try that out. Um, and he enjoyed some of the other games as well. Tried to get him into collectible card gaming, but not really his thing. I ended up giving him a deck of cards, and we played it, and it was interesting, but not one to go out and spend a lot of money on that. I haven't uh, seen him in a while, so I don't know where he is in the whole gaming thing now. But started to go to conventions, a mix of role-playing, board gaming, try to play the train games, really liked playing the train games. Got my first introduction, I'm pretty sure at Ancon, to Kings and Things, which then I spent the next four or five years trying to get a copy of the game. I do actually have a copy of Kings and Things, the West End Games version. took me a long time to get it and cost me a bit of money, but I I had to get the Tom Wom art as well. I I didn't want to get the one from Pegasus in Germany, so I had to get the West End Games, Games Workshop version. I do have it. It's at home. The box lid is a little smashed, but... I have my kings and things. I also managed to secure a copy of Dragon Magazine number 77, which has the King of the Tabletop, which was the predecessor to Kings and Things. Really like that game. It was a very enjoyable game. Um, I think we spent the entire four-hour block playing that game. Uh, somebody did end up winning in the end, but... It was weird because one guy was going to win, then he got a plague, and uh, another guy was going to win, and, and, and somebody marched an army in and tore down his citadel and all kinds of things. It was it was a very fun game. Uh, I think that was the, the most fun I had at that convention. Uh, so conventions, conventions. In 95, I graduated from high school, went to Kent State University, and that's where I met up with... Uh, the guy I would eventually be roommates with, and we met up uh, under odd circumstances but started talking with each other to get to know interests, and somehow board games were brought up. And we both discovered that we were huge fans of board games. He was actually a much bigger fan, and role-playing games and other things like that 
he had friends that had formed a campus gaming society. Uh, he had done live action games, all that kind of stuff. So I started hanging out with him to play games, and um, we would just we we could sometimes sit up for two three hour uh, two three a.m. in the in the morning playing games. We would uh, we would set up games and just leave them set up in our room and play the games over days or weeks. Uh, kind of almost a play-by-web type atmosphere where uh, we'd sit down quickly, I'd take a move, he'd take a move, we'd go to class kind of thing. His major was different than mine. He was a history major. I was a criminal justice major. So we had similar buildings to go to, but nothing, no similar classes really. And uh, just started playing games and uh, really... Really enjoyed that time. Uh, computer games, board games, miniatures games. He introduced me to Warhammer 40K, which was interesting, and I bought some figs, played that. Uh, then got much more interested in the Epic 40K scale. I'm still a huge fan of Epic 40K. Anybody wanting to come to a convention uh, <laughs> and play me in Epic 40K or come to one of the mini cons that we do now in uh, libraries, I'll play Epic 40K all day. I'll bring you an army. I'll bring you a 1,000 point, 2,000 point, 3,000 point army. Um, back when it went out of vogue, at uh, at Games Workshop, my my friend and I, we bought up as much as we could. I have I can probably field a ten thousand point Eldar army with two thousand points, three thousand points of squats, uh, about a thousand points of orcs, um, pretty easily. And I've got some. I've even got some uh, space marines and other things uh, smattered in there uh, that I've collected over over time. Just different lots. Um, uh, Jeremy, who's my friend, uh, my old roommate, he he's got uh, Tyranids. He's got Imperial Guard, Space Marine. Um, He's got some orcs. We, neither one of us were really orc fans. We had another player who was an orc fan, but he was—he wasn't a very good player. He—he he did bull rushes a lot, you know, rushes army straight towards you and pretty much get uh, chewed apart. So he had the orc army, and well, we probably should have tried to buy it off of him, but maybe I'll run into him again one day and see if he still has it and he's willing to unload it for cheap. But, uh, so yeah, we played miniature games. He even had Man of War, which is the ship-based Games Workshop miniature game, which is another really fun Games Workshop game that they discontinued. So we we just, oh, we, we had a lot of fun. But uh, as anything, college did eventually end. I graduated in four years. Uh, so in 99, I graduated. Um... Okay, I'm going to cut myself off right there. I've uh, talked for quite a while. And uh, we'll resume a second part next week that will continue the story and get the rest of my history and the history of this podcast. So I will see you next week. Hi, this is Mark Kinney of the All Games Considered podcast. 
We've been around for about a year now, bringing you gaming news and reviews, as well as discussion of games, gaming, gamer culture, and the occasional issue that matters to us gamers. Longtime co-host Chris Heim is still with us, as is Carol, who joined us in this past year. In addition, we have the regular Games You May Never Have Heard Of segment from Ben Balestra, as well as other semi-regular features, like First Strike at Collectible Games and Screenplay, and occasional special guests as well. In the last year, we've discussed game mastering, game licensing, the Origins Awards, the Gen Con experience, various gaming genres, running games at conventions, whether or not peer-to-peer file trading services are inherently evil, and convincing other people that gaming is not evil. It's discussion that we hope to keep alive as we invite our listeners to send feedback on what we discuss, whether it's those subjects or something completely different. We look forward to having you take part in our considerations here on All Games Considered. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's online gaming podcast. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, please go to onlinegamingpodcast.blogspot.com or email kdivine at yahoo.com.